Welcome back to another session of Better Podcasting Chats with me, SP. This is a streamed and recorded casual chat with hobby and passion podcasters all over the world to share their experience, knowledge, joy, and enthusiasm of podcasting. And once this live stream is over, I'm going to take these recorded files and turn it into a podcast. Better Podcasting is a project by Stephen John Drew and myself to help hobby and passion podcasters start their podcasts and make their existing projects better, thus better podcasting. Now, since the last chat session, which has been a couple of weeks, I spent a wonderful week up at my family's lake home in Wisconsin, caught a lot of fish, helped ready the place for winter, and did some repairs. I was also able to virtually attend a retirement seminar from my desired location of retirement. How meta, right? And in space news, because I'm a rocket scientist, it's been a huge couple of weeks, so please indulge me for a moment as I run through some of these what are soon to be historic events. As this chat is being recorded, NASA reluctantly but prudently rolled the Artemis 1 rocket stack back to the vehicle assembly building in Florida to shelter it from Hurricane Ion. Now, while in the VAB, I hope NASA inspects the four-inch lower hydrogen fueling connection seal, changes out the flight termination system batteries, and gives Engine 3 a hug for falsely being blamed for the first launch abort test. Oh, and that faulty engine chill sensor leading to Engine 3 needs to be changed out as well. It's not known at the time as I record this when the next launch attempt will be, but I suspect it will be somewhere between October 16th and November 12th, 2022. And that will be going back to the moon with a crude or human rated capsule. There'll be nobody in it, but it's going to test it out for humans to go in 2024. Meanwhile, in Boca Chica, Texas, SpaceX performed a seven-engine static fire of Booster 7 of the Starship stack before returning it to the production site for flight upgrades as Elon Musk tweeted, Booster 7 will be the first stage in Starship's upcoming first orbital test flight. Starship 24 patiently awaits on the launch pad for Booster 7's return. Booster 8 is at the launch site now for further testing until Booster 7 returns. Booster 7 will be mated with Starship 24. At this point, it's important to note that both SLS, which is the Artemis rocket from NASA, and Starship from SpaceX will be needed for a successful moon landing. While I'm sure both teams want to be the first to launch, it's more important that both launch safely and not necessarily who's first, but I'm betting both teams are like, we want to go first, we want to go first, we want to go first. And in other NASA news, NASA's DART mission successfully impacted an asteroid in a diversion test so that Bruce Willis and Ben Affleck won't have to go up and drill into an asteroid to blow it up. And the James Webb Space Telescope returned some amazing images of Neptune. They're just phenomenal. That telescope is every penny worth it. Now, over on my other podcast, Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., we're now in the home stretch of covering the Disney Plus series She-Hulk Attorney at Law, and we'll, we're looking forward to reviewing Thor Love and Thunder after the series is completed, after the She-Hulk series is completed. And in case you're new to Better Podcasting Chats with SP, if you are a hobby or passion podcaster, I'm interested in chatting with you. And if you want to schedule a time to chat with me about your podcasting experience and your podcast, please send me an email to stargatepioneer at betterpodcasting.com or send me a DM on Twitter or Discord and we'll arrange a date. In case you don't think this applies to you and you're listening to me talking right now, it probably does. And I'm excited to chat with you. I know a few of you have reached out to me over the last two weeks and I've sent you all messages. If by chance you haven't seen a message from me this week, please resend your note to me and I'd love to have a chat with you. But I think I've got everybody in the hopper. Now, for the next hour, I'm chatting with somebody for the first time in this venue from a different continent. Jamie Taylor reached out to me in the Cast Junkies Discord server and he said he wanted to chat with me about a few podcasting related subjects. Jamie is a Microsoft MVP professional, a developer, and a software engineer, and has been podcasting since 2017. 
With a background in teaching, Jamie focuses his energies on mentoring, writing super quality code, and sharing his knowledge with everyone who will listen. He currently hosts three podcasts, the .NET Core podcast, the ARG, a video game podcast from the Waffling Tailors, and the Tabs and Spaces podcast. And I'm looking forward to chatting with such a giver to the community. Welcome to the chat, Jamie. Hello. Hello, everyone. My goodness. It is a genuine pleasure to be here, even though it's 1 a.m. where I am. But that's fine. Time zones are a weird thing. And, you know, it doesn't really matter, really. (laughs) I appreciate you staying awake for this, or maybe you went to sleep and then came back. I do. I appreciate it very much. You're suffering for your art right now. Absolutely. And, you know, I always say to people, if, uh, if me spending an hour talking to you, talking to the people who are joining live, talking to the people who are listening on demand, if that somehow helps them, then it's all worth it, right? Because I'm all about sharing whatever knowledge I have and helping out whoever I can, right? And if, like I said, if me spending an hour talking to you and talking to the, the listeners helps them with anything, it's all been worth it. <laughs> That's kind of what the philosophy is with us on Better Podcasting. We're just trying to help other people make their projects better because as you start podcasting in this day and age, there is a lot of information available, but there is contradicting information available. Some is pertinent to professional podcasters or podcasters that are in podcasting companies, or maybe you're podcasting for your company and you have a different set of goals than maybe somebody that's just doing it for a hobby or part-time. Maybe you want to get there eventually, and there's nothing wrong with that, but you just don't have the same wants or needs that a passion or a hobby podcaster really does, at least to start out. And there's a whole bunch of different expectations for that level. And Uh, We'll get to talk to a lot of it, but I just want to set one thing straight with you right off the bat is uh, it's been 30 years since I have coded Fortran 77, so I don't intend on going into any coding (laughs) things with you tonight. Sure. No, that's fine. (laughs) I don't either. (laughs) You know, my work day ended like eight hours ago. It's all good. (laughs) (laughs) Good. So let's talk about what inspired you to start podcasting in 2017. What was the impetus? What's the story there? Uh, yeah. So essentially, uh, back in 2016, around the 2015, 2016 timeframe, Microsoft started working on this technology called .NET Core. They'd already released a technology called .NET Framework back in the early 2000s, you know, 2001, 2002, but that was Windows only. And it was initially sort of created for like, if you need to create something quick on Windows using rapid application development techniques, just sort of throw the code together and build on libraries of stuff that already exist. Um, you know, this is one of your ways to do that. Problem was that as with all technologies, loads of people adopted it and they went, this is amazing. Wouldn't it be brilliant if we could run this on Mac OS or on Linux based servers? And so um, a lot of stuff happened. I'm, I'm breezing over a whole bunch of stuff, right? Because we only have we only have about an hour, right? <laughs> but between 2001 and 2015, Microsoft got bitten by this bug of why don't we make everything open source and make it cross-platform so that people who are on Mac OS or who are running Linux machines can do their .NET development on that too. Along the way, they, they sort of bought a few companies that had already tried this sort of absorbed their research and development into creating this thing called .NET Core. When I started hearing about it, uh, you know, at the time, I only had a MacBook Air. And I was like, I really would like to continue writing code at home, but I can't. And this .NET Core thing happened, and I'm like, ha-ha, now I can. And so what I started doing was I started to write uh, blog posts about my, my journey with making .NET Core apps and learning the new system and learning how it all uh, hung together. And to do that, I started a brand new blog and, uh, you know, new website, new domain, new, new everything. And every every week I would write a brand new blog post. Hey, this is a thing that I figured out how to do this week. How amazing is this? Right. We were chatting just before we went live about how you were saying, you know, at the beginning, I'm going to be talking about rocket science because I'm, I'm a rocket scientist. And I'm, you know, I, how do I put it? I love hearing about people's passions, regardless of what the passion is. 
So, you know, hearing the passion in your voice about the news items you were talking about, I have to admit, I know very little about Project Dart, but hearing your sort of update on that, it, it sort of it made it more real to me. Yeah, I've seen the footage, but it wasn't really real. It was just like, here's a 3D object, and then the screen goes red. Anyway, I digress. <laughs> yeah, I, I ended up uh, writing weekly blog posts with code to go with it, with working applications that were hosted. And I was like, you know, go, go get the code and we'll dissect the code. And I ended up, um, towards the end, I was writing like 3,000 word essays every week. And I'm a dreadful writer. And so I was, uh, you know, it was coming up to like five minutes before the, the article would go live. And I'm looking at the editor going, ah, it, it was on WordPress or whatever. And I was like, oh no, it's, should this be a comma? Should it be a colon? Should it be a full stop? Should it be, I don't know what this should be. And, um, you know, I lost a few nights sleep to, excuse me, I lost a few nights sleep to actually um, wait uh, to, to writing all night. I've got to get this out in the morning. Got to get this out in the morning. Got to get this out in the morning. And then I realized, hang on, I get a microphone. I can do this easier. I can do it with one take, right? And I can either edit it myself or have someone else edit it for me. And so the thing that got me into podcasting was a combination of realizing all of those articles, which I then repurposed for podcast content, could then be like the beginning of a, of a podcast. And then I was talking to a bunch of friends of mine, and they were like, you know, there's some .NET specific podcasts, but there's nothing covering this new .NET core thing. I think you found a corner on the market. So what I did was I took my laptop over to a local coffee shop that is a big market sort of multinational one. I'm not trying to do any advertisement here, so I won't say which one. <laughs> Sat down with my whatever Ichino cup of whatever, and that went cold. And I, uh, within an hour, I had like bullet points for the first maybe 12 to 18 episodes. They were just like, this is the title. These are the high level three points I want to hit in this episode. And I, what I did was I set myself the challenge of if I can come up with 12 episode outlines, then there's something here, right? And I'll, I'll do it and see what happens. If people listen, then people listen. If people don't, then, you know, it's an experiment. If it went well, brilliant. If it doesn't go well, not a problem, right? Because like I said at the beginning, I'm all about if there's something that I know and I can spread that knowledge to someone, I will do my best to try and help that knowledge get into that person's head, right? <laughs> It sounds like you started podcasting basically off of bullet points. Have you modified that over the years or are you still podcasting off of bullet points? Oh, yeah. Back in the early days, it was all monologues. So it was just me explaining, you know, what this is, how it works, how it all hangs together. And then people started contacting me and saying, hey, I've got this, this project I'm working on and I'd love to talk about it on your show. And I'm like, there are four episodes. How did you find out about this show, right? <laughs> That's a good question to ask. Yeah, exactly. Right. Well, yeah. What did I do right? I've done something right along the way. <laughs> um, and uh, I never really did find out how people found out about the show so early, but there you go. But yeah, even now, I still do everything with bullet. So like, what I'll do before I do an interview is we'll have a 15-minute discovery chat on Zoom, Hangouts, whatever. And I've got you know, a document open in another, on another screen. They'd be like, oh, yeah. we're having a discussion about what the person has built or what they want to talk about. And I'm taking furious amounts of notes. And then when we're done, I then share that document with them and say, look, this is what I've written. These are the bullet points that I, I think are quite interesting based on what you've said. And if you want to add to that, please do. If you want to use this planning document as like a place to plan out your answers, not a problem. I've had people who have just left it as it is. I've had people who've written paragraphs and I've had people who've come in and just written, oh yeah, this is a good question. I'd like to focus on this, or this is a link that explains this thing or whatever. So it's good for provide. it's sometimes good for providing that sort of supplemental information that you don't include in the audio, but then you can include in like the fuller show notes, right? So you also came up with the idea of having 12 outlines before you started a podcast. I would say somewhere around there is a great idea because it means you solidified the topic that you want to talk about and there's some legs to it. So you don't get through like episode three or four and like, what am I going to talk about now? What made you choose 12? So I figured three was too few, 24 was too many. And I went, well, what's a nice number between them that's in 
the three times table because I've chosen three, I've chosen 24. Those two are in the three times table. Well, 12 seems to be about the middle range. <laughs> so you decided yourself without any outside advice. You were just like, okay, this sounds good to me. Yeah. Um, yeah. I settled on 12. And then uh, when I, when I was talking to a few friends who are like, they're pros, right? I'm just a, I'm just a Wally with a microphone, right? I, I don't know whether Wally crosses the, the Atlantic there, but um, you know, I'm just a, a, uh, and you say Wally and I'm thinking Wally from the Pixar Disney movie. Okay. Yep. I mean, that's good enough, but yeah, I'm just some <laughs> idiot with a microphone as well. Okay. Well. There you go. So I was talking to some pros who were like, you know, they make loads of money with their shows and millions of downloads, blah, 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 all that stuff. Uh, and they said, get past 24 because 24 at the time in round 2017 was like the pod fade number, which if you don't know what pod fading is, that's where you start to release content and then you run out of steam or you run out of um, ideas or sometimes life gets in the way and you just go, don't come back to it. And then the show just disappears forever. Right. And at the time, 24 was about the pod fading number. I've heard that it is now dropped to around 12, 10 to 12. And I think that's perhaps related to like, uh, there've been a whole bunch of like limited series, like the dropout and things that are like six to 10 episodes. And so that sort of skews the average, but I don't know what the real number is, right? What's the real number? I don't know. <laughs> and it really depends on what sort of genre and what sort of podcast you're doing. If you do it in seasons or limited release, like you said, it's different. I've heard everything over the years from seven, eight, 12, 24. I've heard everything sort of in that range, but it's less than 50. Cause if you're doing a weekly show and if you make it a year and you keep on going, that's pretty good too. So 50 is a good number as well, but really what you're trying to do is sustain yourself from pod fade. So yeah. Okay. I get it. So you named the show, the .NET core podcast, which basically explained exactly what you were podcasting about. You also mm -hmm. started another podcast called tabs and spaces. And I'm really excited to learn about how you came up with that name because it's, it's pretty catchy name. <laughs> Um, so I have to say that the, the, the .NET Core podcast name is no longer as relevant because uh, in the 2019, 2021 timeframe, Microsoft dropped the core part of the name of the technology. <laughs> so then instead of, instead of rebranding and buying a new URL and setting up all the redirects and stuff, I just changed the lead from, you know, the only podcast about .NET Core to, I think it's something, uh, it's been a while since I recorded. I like to record the episodes in batches way ahead of myself. So I think the intro is currently um, deep dive into the core of the .NET technology stack. So then it's like, I've got both the words .NET and core in the name uh, in the description, just to sort of sort of refresh that. But uh, yeah, tabs and spaces was a brilliant idea from a friend of mine called Zach. And uh, Zach had this great idea. Um, I don't know whether you've seen it, but there's, um, there's a TV show. Oh, it's the one that the Pied Piper is from. Oh gosh, I've forgotten the name of it now. That's the problem. You've put me on the spot. Uh, I just asked you about tabs and spaces. I didn't try to put you on a spot for a TV. <laughs> what I mean is I should have re-looked at this up. But anyway, tabs and spaces in a code editor. Because when you're writing code, you're essentially writing human readable plain text, right? And there's lots of uh, space. from the in your, If you're a left-to-right culture, you have lots of indentation from the left-hand side. If you're a right-to-left culture, you have indentation from the right-hand side. Different programming languages. Ah, thank you, Matthew. Silicon Valley, yes. Thank you, Matthew. Good friend, Matthew, there, jumping in, saving my, uh, saving my bacon. We'll come back to why Silicon Valley is relevant in a moment. And uh, in languages like uh, Python, the amount of indentation tells you where the code lives. So it might be inside of an if block or something like that. And different languages and different developers and different tools say you should use tabs or you should use spaces. There's this big argument. And the reason Silicon Valley is included is because there's a, a couple of uh, scenes where they actually have full-blown arguments, throwing chairs around, screaming at each other about whether they should use tabs or spaces. So we decided on tabs and spaces because whoever wins, we all lose, right? It, uh, but also it doesn't matter whether it's tabs or spaces. It may as well be tabs and spaces because you know, you're going to hit save and your, your program you're using to write the code is going to swap it from tabs to spaces or from spaces to tabs. So that's the pointless argument. And the whole, the whole point of this show is it's, it's pointless arguments about software engineering. 
So we had uh, a pointless argument about imposter syndrome, a pointless argument about uh, how to show up to interviews, pointless arguments about uh, do you should you have a yearly salary review or should you just quit and find a better job? Loads of these silly, pointless arguments that we're hoping that in each episode, that's a, they're usually about an hour long, we're hoping that in each episode there's a few nuggets of, of absolute brilliance that people will go, you know what, that's great. Even if it is just James, one of the co-hosts, saying, using his Batman joke. And his Batman joke is, they say you should dress for the job that you want. That's why I dress as Batman every day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, you know what? I could probably get away with that, but I'm not a huge Batman fan anymore. I, like more Captain America, I guess, these days. How would you say your shows have improved over time? You started in 2017 without too much training. How did you get them to improve? So the first thing that I did was realize that me cutting out my own ums and ahs was a waste of my time, <laughs> but also that it made the conversation flow a little differently. The, the best example that, I, that I've given to people, and I say best because it's one of my examples, the, the, the clearest example I can think of is, you know when you're watching TV and someone jumps all over the place in their voice? That's because they've cut out all of the ums and ahs and between those ums and ahs, you've gently moved your inflection up and down. And if you left the ums and ahs in, it wouldn't be so obvious. But by taking the ums and ahs out, and the ums and ahs then act as those natural sort of joining points between those inflections, you then get those hard cuts from an upper inflection to a lower inflection, from a loud to a soft. And that's kind of really difficult to deal with in the edit suite to try and sort of balance those out. Maybe a little EQ here. Well, compression there. And so I'm just like, you know what? I'm going to leave the ums and ahs in. It's a waste of my time. It makes it all sound a little bit more natural and it gets the episode out faster. <laughs> I am swaying towards a more natural conversational style in the podcast that I edit. And one of with the reasons why is for time. But I will say, if you can remove a crutch word and keep the space in, then the difference in tone is a little less noticeable because that time space is still there. So if you cut it out, if you delete it, if you crunch it together, it's very noticeable. But there, like you said, there's a few tricks in there to get rid of them. And then some words you can't even pick apart. If you're doing a crutch word and um, for example, but the and is very important, you got to leave that um in because yes, you can cut that apart, but yeah. So, okay. That's one of the things that you've increased your podcasting is that on the editing side. So, okay. That's, that's just show improvement. Oh, by the way, uh, I know we brushed over it already, but I just want to lay the groundwork for sure. How did you learn to podcast? It was it talking to your friends that were more professional podcasters or did you research online or how did you learn? So my online research was 30 seconds of which microphone do I get? And the answer was, <laughs> it depends, right? <laughs> it does. Yeah, it really does. And I, I talked to a few of my, my pro friends and a couple of friends who were podcasting at the time, but have sort of pivoted into other uh, industries since then. And, you know, they gave me loads of advice about like, you know, condenser versus dynamic for the mic or recording space and things like, uh, not having too many hard surfaces around you because, I mean, it's basic physics. I know I'm preaching to the choir here, but if you don't know a hard surface, you blast it with sound, the sound's going to come straight back at you, right? That's why things like sitting in your closet surrounded by clothes, right? The cloth will absorb some of that sound. I don't do that because I'm sitting here in my actual office, right? This is the chair I sit in to do my daily work, and I figure this is work, so I'll do it from here. And so all my all of my podcast recordings are from here. And then looking into the different pieces of hardware, I was actually gifted a microphone from my brother. He'd started experimenting with live streaming around this time and decided it wasn't for him. So he gave me this um, uh, Blue Yeti microphone, and that's great. Except that you know you have to be in a perfectly quiet room. You have to be in a what are they called? Those uh, soundproof rooms and stuff like that because 
a piece of dust falling onto your table will sound like an explosion. <laughs> it won't yeah, really. I've, <laughs> I've never heard it's put that way, but I would agree with that. Yeah, it's a great <laughs> microphone, but it does pick up a lot of stuff. And yeah, I actually had uh, words with a very professional podcaster at one point in time on a social media outlet about a Blue Yeti. And I was actually shocked that he was recommending the Blue Yeti to somebody that was just starting out. I think it would have been better to go with something like a Samsung QTU in that situation. He was basically saying USB was the way to go because it gets you away from all the mixers and stuff like that. And I, I understand if you're just starting out, you just want to plug a microphone in. Blue Yeti, yeah, a lot of people start out with it, but then they're like, how do I get rid of this reverb? And then you end up like, okay, this this is how you do it because you have to create pillow forts or, or whatever. You did mention one thing about reflections, and I don't think I've mentioned this on any podcast since I redid my studio, but I've got a new ultra-wide monitor that's sitting right in front of me, and that is a big reflector. And I am not going to change it because my eyesight's too poor and I really like having the space, but I do recognize that it is a big reflector that's coming back, and I've had to add a little deverb in my post-processing because of it. Okay. I'll take the trade-off right there, but I would hate to have a condenser because it would really pick up all the reverb mm. coming off of it. Mm. So we talked about gear. What gear are you using right now to podcast? Sure. Uh, so I'm using the, uh, the sure, uh, SM V seven, I think. Is it the V seven X? It's not the X it's, well, MV7, that's the, that's the one. I've got the box just over there. That's why I looked off camera. <laughs> it doesn't have the model number on it, but it does have the sure branding, right? But it's the one with the XLR and the USB, correct? Yes. Um, if I orient the mic ever so slightly differently, you'll be able to see in the bottom left-hand corner of my view, it has a USB output. So this is running directly into my computer. I've got XLR output around here. And I do actually have a uh, an XLR input almost like a mixing desk, but it's not. It's a focus right Scarlet Solo because I'm an amateur bass guitarist, so I needed a way to plug that into the computer too. So I got one of those. Um, I also have, not for use with this mic, but when I go out on field recordings, I also have a, a Zoom H2, I think a H2N, H2, H4N, sorry, actually stays on the front there, which has XLR inputs on it as well. And so that's for when I'm out doing uh, field recordings. You know, if I'm at an event or like if I'm just going around to see a friend and they're like, hey, could you be on the show? Oh, yeah, totally. I'll bring the, the equipment. Is that the newer pro model that they revised a few years ago or is that the original? So I believe this is the pro model, but I'm only believing that because it says pro along the bottom. Oh, yeah, that's good. So <laughs> the H4N pro model has the upgraded preamps in there, which I would highly recommend if anybody wants to pick one up. Yeah, I would highly recommend getting the Pro model because the preamp upgrade is well worth it. Uh, it's very similar to the one I have, which is a Zoom H5. And the differences between the two are that the Zoom H5 has a removable capsule, whereas your XY microphones on the H4N Pro are not removable, but they are there in case you need it. And really, both of these were made to record music in live settings. And they do great at that. But if you're using the XY microphone and you want to get studio sound from it, you're going to have ambient noise basically in it. Sure. You're not going to have a studio level noise like your Shure microphone being a dynamic microphone is able to get rid of some of the off access noise. Basically, it's not going to get rid of all of it, but it will be a better recording. But if you're out in the field, you use what you got. Absolutely. But um, I, I don't actually use the XY mic on that. And I don't use this mic either because I don't have an actual stand for it. This is on a mic up. I actually have a whole bunch of Samsung QTUs, which we talked oh. about earlier on, which has the USB output, the XLR output. And just like with the Shure, it has uh, a 3.5 mil jack on the end there. So if you need to hear your own voice or the levels that it's picking up, you can just plug that in. If you plug it in via USB, that becomes a sound card as well. So you can actually just plug this in, plug headphones into this, and it's like, hey, I'll redirect the sound from your computer, which is fantastic. So I got a couple of these with different colored um, 
I guess it's a windshield or windsock or the, the foamy bit on the top. <laughs> yeah, it's called a, a, a wind. I think it's windshield. Oh, I can't remember. I was actually listening to a podcast this morning and they were talking about it's not a pop filter. It's a, it's a windshield. It's a wind something. Anyway, yeah, it's not a pop oh, shield, but it you know, <laughs> wind sock. I, I can't remember. Anyway, uh, yes, those are good. Uh, when I'm out and about and I'm plugging into an XLR, I usually use a Sennheiser MD46 because it's an interview microphone. It's meant to be out in the field, that sort of thing. But I, I still have the Samsung QTU of the Audio-Technica AT2005. Those are great microphones as well. I've just upgraded to a uh, PodTrack P4 when I'm on the road. So I'm able to use that as the sound card versus the the one in the Q2U, which I still have. I still take, actually. Uh, when I was at the lake last weekend, I took it with me. A couple more quick questions. If you could have told yourself one thing to make it easier when you started podcasting, what would you told yourself? So I feel like this goes into avoiding uh, gear acquisition syndrome, which maybe we'll come on to later which is sometimes called gas, so avoiding gas, is um, don't spend, you know, in my, in my language, you know, my part of the world, it would be don't spend hundreds of pounds, but don't spend hundreds, thousands of dollars, because, you know, you might find that the thing that you're trying to achieve, the goal you're trying to achieve, is not easily achievable by you. And so and then you've got thousands of pounds worth of equipment just laying around, not doing anything, right? Yeah, you can sell it on, but you need to find a buyer for that equipment. <laughs> and so that would be one of them. And the other one would be, be very aware of your own personal bandwidth. And this is a phrase that I've started using recently. I hope it's, I hope it's used by other people as well. And this has got nothing to do with internet bandwidth or radio bandwidth or anything. It's, it's about your ability to set aside the time out of your own life to achieve the goals you want to do, right? And so. If your goal is, I want to run 100 meters in less than 10 seconds, you've got to be able to put in the effort that a professional athlete at an Olympic level can put in, right? And so for most of us, that's not going to be doable. But um, to know that if you want to record a 40-minute conversation with someone, it's going to take way longer than 40 minutes, right? You've got to wrangle a time when they can be available. You may want to do a discovery call. You then need to check any technology. You then may need to set up something like this, like uh, you know, Streamyard or Riverside or you know any of the other the other things. Get that audio downloaded, then go through it, editing and post producing, and and then tagging, and then putting it online, and then building up show notes, and then being ready to do that uh, the advertising and stuff like that. Getting the show out there for people to listen to. Messing around with search engine optimization on your website to get that working. So it's. It's way more effort than just the 40 minutes. So putting aside your own personal time and providing yourself through that personal bandwidth and being honest with yourself, can I actually devote an hour every week to do my 15-minute podcast? Can I devote three, four hours every week to do my one-hour podcast? And that, that's an outside estimate, right? That's, that's just like the speed at which I go through things now is way better when I started, right? You will get better. You will get faster. But the um, the ballpark figure I give to people for just editing is that for every 30 minutes of audio, you're going to spend 60 to 90 minutes editing, post-producing, messing with filters, messing with equalization. And especially if you're interviewing people who are not professional podcasters, I don't like to talk about the current world, the current global situation. I used to call it the wibbly wobbliness. But in the past few years, we've had this explosion of people having mics at home, but they may still not produce the best sound for your show. So you'll then have to spend time footing with their audio, applying equalization, applying filtering and all this kind of stuff to sort of really bring out the best quality that you can get from the audio hardware that they had when they recorded. And so there'll be loads more effort required to actually get the best sound out of the audio. If it's not in a great space and then the worst, then what about if the worst happens? You're in the middle of a recording, maybe like this and your internet goes down or your computer crashes or, and I've had this with uh, one of my podcast editing clients, they ran out of hard drive space whilst they were recording. Like you lose the magic, right? It's gone. So you have to be ready to be able to actually apply 
the thinking behind, do I have the personal bandwidth to pursue this? And I'm not trying to be exclusionary. I'm not trying to say that this is a thing that only certain people can do. Everyone can do this. If you have a microphone, you can share your, your message with everyone, right? But it's, you need to be open and honest with yourself about how much time you, th- you think you can devote to it. Because, you know, if it's a post-produced show, it's going to be the amount of time you record plus at least one and a half times more just to get it edited. <laughs> if you're doing it yourself, I mean. Yeah, I paid close attention to the last two Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcasts that I produced because I was going on vacation, so I intentionally lightly edited or didn't, well, I did lightly edit. My, the intention was I wasn't going to edit them at all, but I had to go back in and lightly edit it. So I paid close attention. So the recording is about an hour for both of the podcasts, and just the lightly editing and the producing, the processing of the audio tracks and then all the way up to publishing, lightly edited one hour show took me four hours for each show. And that's me lightly editing. Of course, I like to edit a little bit more than that and make it sound a little bit better. And so normally on a week, it's much more than that, maybe 12 hours or something like that for one hour of podcasting. That's not including the preparation time. That's not including promotion time. So I totally get it. You have to have that time available. And I had a golden rule of hobby podcasting in episode 50 of the Better Podcasting main show. We had 15 golden rules of hobby podcasting. The one that's commonly referred to as the golden rule, but it's not. There's 15 of them is don't do if you're a hobby podcaster, don't do. And it's not part of your main job. Don't do more than two shows a week. Now, you can do like you do three shows uh, if it's not weekly because you said you batch recorded and everything, you can get away with it because you're not devoting more than like two shows worth of attention every week. But I've found that somewhere between one and two is really, if you're doing the production of it, if you're doing the promotion of it, if you are doing everything, if you're a solo podcaster or you're the producer of the show that you're also hosting on, it does take a lot of your time to do. And I'm not, like you said, saying that to scare people, I'm just saying this is reality of how things are going. Now, could I edit faster? A little bit, not much. I think four hours from, because also I have to qualify. It's both video and audio. It's a talking head video, so it's not a Discovery Channel style production or Nat Geo actually is what I was going for there, but it is a still a video production. So I'm doing two different shows, uh, audio show and a video show. And it takes at minimum four hours. And then I got to go in and promote it. And sometimes if you don't have time to promote it, it's like, why am I doing this? Because nobody gets out there and sees it. And we can talk about promotion in a second, but I just wanted to double st- stomp, double foot stomp what you were saying about the time there. And then you also said about gas and we didn't go too far in. Is there anything else you want to say about the gear acquisition system to like be cautious? Oh, totally. Yeah. Um, so I really held off. I, I set myself a budget when I first started. I was like, okay, I've been give, I've been gifted this microphone. I'm going to use it until either the wheels fall off or until I get really angry with the audio that it's producing. And then, sort of weigh up the the time of how much time am I am I spending editing and how much time will that save me if I bought a different microphone and so I bought the the Q2U because I mean it was I think at the time it was on sale it was around 70 pounds and it came with like a cheap XLR cable and a USB cable and a little mic stand I could just plonk on the desk in front of me and it worked for a long time but I stayed with that up until this year so I've I've gotten three, four years of, of use out of the Q2U. And it was only this year that I moved on to the MV7. And that's because I'm working in my home basement. I can't really treat the walls because it's the basement. I could hang some sheets in places, but also it's, I mean, like I can put my hand on the wall behind the monitor and I can put my hand on the wall behind me. That's how wide it is, right? So I can't really do anything about the sort of spatial aspects. And I also have a, an extractor fan in this room as well. That's actually going at the moment. You could probably hear the GPU fan on my laptop going at the moment. Would I use my desktop? But the annoying thing with the desktop is the desktop has a bunch of fans in it. 
which produce resonance, which travel up the leg of the desk, which then get picked up by the arm of the microphone, travel all the way up into the mic, and then actually make the mic vibrate. So then that picks up the, that sound as well. So there's a whole bunch of stuff that I can't do anything with, but the MV7 sort of helps me to reduce that. But it was only after three years of using the Q2U and when the problem actually persisted. And I, I set myself a budget and I'm like, look, if I'm, if I'm having true problems with these pieces of hardware, I will spend up to $150 in this next calendar year to fix it. And if I'm not, if I don't think that the amount of time that I'm putting into it is worth the amount of money that I will spend on it, then yeah, if those two things don't, don't equate, then I won't spend the money. Or if they do equate, then I'll spend the money, save myself a bit of time, increase that personal bandwidth, right? And so I've done this really, really iteratively, very slowly and very deliberately. And when I have gone to buy new pieces of hardware, I've gone, right, okay, hey, my friends who do all this for a living, right, I've got a choice between these three things. They're all roughly the same price. Talk me out of buying any of them. <laughs> That's phenomenal. It's what Stephen and I do on Better Podcasting. We will uh, ping gear acquisitions, purchases off each other. We talked quite a bit this past year for me as I redid my studio. First, there was the computer, and he helped me choose the components to build the computer. He's like, look, this is going to be a system that you want for a while. You want it to be able to edit 4K video, so you're going to need these things. You're not building an extravagant system, and you want to air cool, so you got to go with a case that's optimized for air cooling, so it's all on the higher end and stuff like that. So I felt like, ooh, I got this big, huge gaming computer, which I do, but I don't game with it. I use it for podcasting. And then as I went for the Rodecaster Pro 2, we had talked for years about what my next step was going to be. And as my gear started to slowly fail around me, it was still operable, but it was failing. I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm going to have to repurchase. I'm going to have to fix this somehow. And the Rodecaster Pro 2 came along and I'm like, this does everything that I needed to do. So I'm going to get it, but it's expensive. So it's, it's well above the $150 dollar mark a year that you have said but i've enjoyed using it so okay it just so happened that like everything happened at once i wanted to start doing everything in 2020 but we know what happened in 2020 so mm-hmm. everything snowballed into 2022 for me and uh, it was it's always good to have somebody a running buddy for podcasting that you can ping stuff off and like, okay, this is what I'm trying to do. And it doesn't have to be podcasting stuff. It could be, I don't know, cars, bikes, boats, lawnmowers, whatever. This is what I'm trying to do. Am I stupid for wanting this? In some cases they'll say, yeah, you don't need that. In some cases it'd be like, well, it sounds like it's going to do what you needed to do. So there you go. Okay. Avoid the gas, but buy the stuff that you need to do what you want to need. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Another thing that we mentioned was time embedded with that is actually the word I was looking for is promotion. So how do you handle promotion for your three podcasts? So I take a, what I would hope would be a a standard approach, but I feel like it's more of a non-standard when I talk to some people to promoting the podcast, I'm all about providing value, right? And so if I'm promoting a specific episode of a podcast, I'll talk about other things related to it. So like uh, I've, I've mentioned to people before where I have the Twitter accounts for two of the three shows on my phone. And, you know, if I'm standing in the queue at the coffee shop or whatever, I'll just be reading through and I'll find a, a blog post about, oh, this is amazing. This is related to one of these shows. I will tweet as the show saying, check out this blog post. I didn't write it. I haven't created it, but here's some amazing thing that I think about it. Or maybe I'm listening to a podcast episode by a fellow or podcaster or by something completely unrelated. So for instance, earlier this week, I was listening to an episode of a podcast called Clear and Vivid by Alan Alder. For those who are not as, uh, shall we say, vintage as yourself and I, Alan Alder, very famous for the TV show MASH and West Wing and a bunch of other shows and uh, Scientific Frontier and things like that. And his goal over the last five or so years with this show is to uh, improve the quality of communication that is offered by uh, scientists and academics and people who are in the literature sphere to those of us who are not in those spaces, right? And in every single episode, he ends 
with seven quick questions. And the idea is uh, it's supposed to be a one sentence answer. And the, the question that really got me to pause, I was walking down to, to this, you know, down to the coffee shop and I, it literally got me to stop and stand still. He asked the question, it was the answer that, that, that got me to stand still. But the question they asked was, how do you tell someone that you've got your facts wrong? And his guest said these words and it stopped me dead in my tracks, physically stopped me with humility and being humble, because that implies that, that, that I think my facts are correct. And so immediately I leapt onto Twitter and I'm like, okay, whatever you're doing, you need to stop what you're doing and listen to this show. And this is my key takeaway from this episode. It's got nothing to do with video games or software development, software engineering, none of that. You all need to hear this. And here is why. And I, I'm always looking for that nugget of information because I'm a podcast consumer as well as a producer, right? And I think I've got something like a hundred active subscriptions. There's a whole bunch that I just skip. With these active subscriptions, whatever comes up is something that I'll listen to. And I'm listening to so many that are, that are way out of my niche, way out of my sort of interest, because I want to know what the rest of the world is talking about. And, and so I'll hit upon an episode of something and I'll provide immediate value. This is why you should listen to this episode. Here are my key takeaways. I want to know what your key takeaways are. And then later on in the week, when the episode drops and Hootsuite automatically tweets it for me, I don't have to worry about it because people are already engaging with me to get that content. Another example is for what, uh, so my, my brother and I, who co-host Waffling Tailors, we just shortened it to Waffling Tailors. It's got a really stupid name because I wanted something right at the beginning of the alphabet and I couldn't think of anything other than, ah, so I went with that. On Waffling Tailors, we had the great pleasure to interview Greg Barnett, who is the writer, director, and sort of producer and coder of the Discworld point-and-click games, Discworld, Discworld 2, Morality Bites, or as it was known over here, Missing Presumed, and Discworld Noir. I had a great chance to interview him, and I'm a big fan of the Discworld books, so I'm on Reddit, I'm in the Reddit area for Discworld. When the games come up, I'll be like, oh, cool, I remember, because it comes up every, every couple of weeks, I remember these games, I was you know 12 when this game came out, it introduced me to the series, they were brilliant. And then I'll put something like, oh, by the way, I interviewed the director for it for one of my podcasts. If people are interested, I'll post the link later. And then I send that. And then I leave it. And then if one person gets back to me with, I'd be interested in checking it out, I'll go, okay, cool. There's the link. But I've already provided my opinion and my value and tried to move the conversation on without talking about the show. Because I'm like, hey, you know, this is because if you walk around trying to sell your show constantly, it's like you're wearing a billboard saying, download my podcast, download my podcast. I don't, got no, I don't want to know what you've got to say. Just download my podcast. And you know that works for some types of marketing where you've got billions of dollars to waste on, on marketing. There's a brilliant bit in a book called Start With Why from Simon Sinek. And he says, the great thing about if you're Apple or if you're Nike, you've got trillions of dollars to just throw away at putting an ad on a screen. Because you know that one person may convert and buy a pair of Nike shoes for $120 or an Apple laptop for $1,000. You can get away with kind of justifying that. But when you're a solo creator and you're doing it as a hobby and you haven't got a trillion dollars, constantly shouting, hoping that someone will hear it is probably not the best way to go. My, like I say, my, my attitude is a little different. I'm all about providing that value. That's why I create the shows. I want to provide value help someone out. So I'm always trying to provide value first and I'll throw in a little afterwards. Oh yeah, well, you know, if you're interested, check this out too. And, and it's not always, it's not always the most recent thing. It's the most relevant thing. I think that's another key thing as well. I think a lot of people, when they do, uh, I see it on Twitter a lot where someone will put something up and it'll go viral and they'll reply to their own tweet with, oh, while you're here, check out my SoundCloud or check out my YouTube. And it's like, well, what do these things have to do with each other? You know? If you, if you were to say, oh, but if you liked this thing, check out this one video I made that's on a similar topic, that feels like it would be more natural to me because I'm like, oh, well, I like that. I'll click this. But if it's just, if you like this silly picture I found on Reddit, check out my YouTube, which has nothing to do with Reddit or silly pictures. I'm like, it doesn't really fit, but maybe I'm just weird. I don't know. <laughs> I like everything you just said, provide value engage in stuff that you're interested in and 
provide that value as well and, and incite interesting conversation, build the community, so to speak. Are you solely focused on Twitter or you, have you branched out to other social media as well? So what I did was, uh, again, it's, it's from Simon Sinek's Start With Why. I worked out the who of my shows. Who do I want to get the message out to? Once you have the who, you can then figure out where they live. And I don't mean like, oh, go to their house. But like, where do they hang out? Is your audience on TikTok? Go to TikTok. Is your audience on TikTok? No, don't go to TikTok because it's a waste of your time, right? You were saying earlier on that, you know, if it takes you four hours, it may take you four hours to lightly edit something so that it's, it would kind of pass your own personal quality bar. If you're then spending four hours generating content for TikTok and no one is there that would follow your show, that's four hours of your time. You could have either done something else that's fun, right? Maybe hang out with your significant other, maybe go for a walk, maybe go fishing or, or whatever it is that you do. You could do that instead of those four hours. So figure out the who, who is your ideal audience. And when I did that, I figured out, right, okay, Twitter is great for uh, the retro video game stuff, which is what Waffling Tellers is, and for um, the .NET stuff, because the people who actually work on .NET at Microsoft are all on Twitter. So if I can catch their eye, they might go, oh, this is a cool episode or whatever. And I've actually had it a few times where the Microsoft social team have actually gone, hey, this person isn't uh, affiliated with us. But here's an episode with one of us from Microsoft talking about this thing on Jamie's show, which is wonderful because then, you know, that, that gets it to everyone else. But again, it's, it's all about that providing value, right? I've tried Facebook, nothing happens. I've tried Reddit and nothing happens. I've tried, except for the few with the Discworld episode, right? I've got a, a Discord server for two, for all three of the shows. And, you know, I'm in those on a daily basis, sort of interacting with people, but. Twitter is like the place for my shows. And that's why I'm there because it's quick. It's short form. It's until recently 140 characters. So you really had to get your point across. And just like uh, Devin said in the comments, you know, the add to cart dopamine hit works fantastically in that rare, really short character limit. And it means that I'm not spending hours going, well, should that be a comma? Should that be a full stop? No, because you can almost, you can almost use like text speak, you know, with like you are the letters you and are instead of your or you are, right? You could just shorten everything and everybody just gets it. Or you can just uh, do what Zach does for tabs and spaces and just reply in GIF form to everything, right? Because it's kind of accepted and kind of silly. So yeah, I'm only on Twitter for those reasons. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's see. Uh, you have spent a lot of time being a teacher and on your podcast, a facilitator, and you wanted to talk about the things that you've learned to be a good facilitator, right? Sure. The way that I see it, and my, my advice, the, the, everything I've said so far is advice. Great thing about advice is you can just ignore it. This bit specifically, feel free to ignore it because this is just advice based on my own experience, right? When I'm setting up a recording with a guest for a podcast, you know, the first thing I'll say to them is, right, we use a number of different ways to facilitate this. So we use, you know, this product, this product, this product, or this product, or we can invest in some other product, whatever you're most comfortable with. Because the way that I see it, yes, okay, the great wibbly wobbliness made everyone way more comfortable with speaking into a camera that is next to their screen as if the person is there, but not everyone's comfortable with it. So I've got to find the, the way that's comfortable for that person to be involved. I also, I did it just before we hit, uh, hit live on here, but I changed it shortly after. I ask people if they're comfortable sharing their pronouns. A lot of people in, especially in my industry, are of a certain, I said it before, right? Of a certain vintage where nobody asks their pronouns, and so they don't ask people their pronouns. But to the people that it matters to, that's a huge deal. So I say, look, okay, brilliant. How can I refer to you? Okay, you're called Simon. What are your pronouns? Your pronouns are they and them. Fantastic. And the reason I ask for that is that then if I refer to that person in the third person during an intro or during a conversation that we're having, I'm using those correct pronouns. I'm making them more comfortable by, by just accepting that I may have to change my language to fit their situation a little bit more. And so it's, it's about, it's communication, right? <laughs> and then from that, it's all about setting every single expectation that I can think of. And so, you know, when we're planning the episodes, we're doing that um, discovery call. 
I'm like, right, I'm sharing my screen. You can see what I'm writing, so I'm not keeping anything from you. I'm going to share this document with you. And we'll, you know, if you want to collaboratively edit this offline, you totally can. You can use it. I think I said earlier on, you can use it to plan your responses to these episodes. There's one person that I've interviewed who quite literally, and there's nothing wrong with this, quite literally took those bullet points and wrote full paragraph answers. And when I was chatting to them, they were just reading those answers out. Hey, if that makes them feel more comfortable, more power to them. And you know what? They sounded really natural versus what I'm doing here with lots of ums and ers. And those are crutch words, like you were saying earlier on. This person didn't have any of those crutch words because they'd already planned it out. They were really calm. They were nice and collected. And then the other thing I try to do is not get in the way. So if someone's answering a question, I want you, I mean, you, you certainly haven't done this. I just want to make that very clear. I'm not trying to be passive aggressive and say, oh, don't do what SP did. But what I'm saying is I listen to a lot of shows where everyone talks over each other. And it's so hard in an audio format where you are disconnected from what's happening to actually follow a conversation where two or three people are actively talking on top of each other. In real life, it's not so difficult because you can turn your head, you can look for visual cues, but with audio, whilst you're doing the gardening or whilst you're doing the dishes or whilst you're on the Stairmaster or whatever, it's so difficult to follow that conversation with three or four people talking on top of each other, especially if it's been, how do I put it? If it hasn't been engineered by a professional, someone who does it as a daily, like it is their daily bread. If you get someone in who is a professional, who is a, like a professional audio engineer, they could probably engineer that so that then you can follow the conversations independently. But if it's, you know, if it's me sitting in my basement playing around with Adobe Audition or Audacity, I'm never going to hit that level. So it's difficult to follow that. And so what I do is I try to step back. Uh, like when I'm, when I'm doing the interviews on my side, I do what you're doing right now. I sit back from the microphone and I give the visual cue. Hey, no, I'm just going to sit back. And, and if I have something to say, I'll maybe raise a hand or I'll sit forward a little bit like you've been doing. So that then the person can see, oh, uh, Jimmy wants to speak now, or maybe I should wrap my point up. But we do this on tabs and spaces. Uh, when someone wants to get a point across, they'll raise their hand and do this, which means, you know, wrap your point up. I've got something to say. It doesn't get captured on the, the recording because it's just audio, but it's great. It's a great signal for all four of us because there's three co-hosts and a guest, or we call them featuring artists. It's a great signal to everyone. Hey, Zach's got a point to make, or James has got a point to make, or shut up, Jamie, you're speaking for too long, you know? And so I try to sort of step back and, and do that. But I also try to use metaphors. If I'm trying to explain something that's really, that I think might be a bit complex, I'll try and come up with a metaphor, right? And so somebody was saying to me the other day, can you explain what microservices are in computer programming? And I said to them, imagine that you go to your coffee shop. I keep bringing up coffee shops, right? Maybe I want a coffee, right? You go to your coffee shop and there's a huge queue, right? They can only deal with perhaps two people at a time. There's one person placing an order and one person picking up their order from the coffee bar. If they could spin up or create another version of the coffee shop right next door, same coffee, same process, same prices, then they can deal with twice as many people. Or indeed, in the coffee shop itself, if they can buy another coffee machine, they can deal with twice as many people. And it's not quite that, but microservices is kind of metaphorically that. It's taking that core piece and then copy-pasting it somewhere else so that you can actually deal with twice as much work with half as much load, if that makes sense. And so I try to come up with these metaphors whenever I can to try and explain things that are a little bit more complex. And I have a sort of a bank of them in the back of my head. That's why I was able to pull out that microservices one. And I found that with my teacher training background, using metaphors to get the point across and using this phrase that's from a Terry Pratchett book called Lies to Children. And I hate, I hate the name, but it's perfect. Lies to Children is this idea of getting the point across so that it is truthy, not truthful. It's building up a metaphor that is based on a lie of, yeah, the world is perfectly spherical. But that gives you the reason that we're told the world is perfectly spherical, because we know what a sphere looks like. If we were told it's spherical, but sort of sticks out at the sides, we don't really know what that image looks like in our head. We're kind of like, what does that even mean? You know, when you're five or six, what does that mean? And so use a truth E statement to be able to build up some knowledge so that then you can apply the one thing on top that makes it truthful. 
And that's what I try to do when I come up with these metaphors. How do I, hopefully, my example of microservices made sense to everyone watching. Uh, Devin's a developer, so he's going to get that, right? <laughs> but hopefully, that, that point made sense and people are able to go, oh, right, cool, cool. So if I hear someone talking about microservices, it means coffee. <laughs> it's not what it means, but, you know, <laughs> that idea, right? Yeah, actually, we are developing microservices at our my place of work right now. So I'm actually going to use that coffee metaphor for them, coffee shop metaphor, and, and see if that gets some people to understand exactly what's going on. Uh, yeah, lots of, of gold that you just said there and wonderful. Thank you very much for all of your facilitator tips and tricks because I'm going to be going back and re-listening to this as I'm editing going, wow, I, I need to write that down. I need to write that down. I need to write that down. All good things. As we start to close off this chat session, though, I want to ask you, do you have a favorite? You've been podcasting since 2017. Do you have a favorite moment from any of your shows? doesn't have to be the best favorite moment, but just one that's sticking out in your mind right now. Do you have a favorite moment from your shows that you want to relate? So I think there are a couple, but the one that immediately leaps to mind is uh, there was an episode of the .NET Core podcast. I forget which one, but it was an early one within the first maybe couple of months. It was one of those monologues that I put out and I got, a, I got an email from someone on the team at Microsoft who'd only joined in the last maybe six months. And they were like, how did you find this out? Even I don't know these things. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that kind of like sticks in my mind. It's like, wow, I got one over on Microsoft, the people who make the thing that I was talking about. <laughs> that can make you feel really cool and make you feel like, oh, they must be screwed up over there too at the same time. So whatever. <laughs> Not throwing any shade at Microsoft, but uh, yeah, I could I could see that happen. It's any any work spaces anyway. Well, thank you very much, Jamie, for coming on the show and having this chat with me here on Better Podcasting. I am very interested in checking out your shows. I mean, it sounds like we're have a lot of the same interests. I listen to Alan Alda myself. He has this magical voice to listen to, and I like the subject matter as well because the science related but if anybody wants to get more information from you where could they find you uh yeah well i've got my uh my twitter handle i get the correct hand and position it properly got my twitter handle just here on the screen podcaster j that has links to all of the other shows that i'm on you can reach out there the dms on there are open or indeed on the uh the twitter accounts for .net core podcast and waffling tailors which are .net core show and waffling tailors over on twitter the dms there are wide open so if you want to have a conversation please do uh, get in touch we have a contact page on the waffling tailors and .net core podcast websites so that's waffling tailors.rocks uh, i'll put it into the comments if i can figure out how to do that in a moment waffling tailors.rocks r-o-c-k-s and .net core.show that's all spelled out so d-o-t-n-e-t-c-o-r-e dot s-h-o-w both of those have a contact form on them. Feel free to reach out through that. They come directly to me. So I'll get an email saying, hey, you know, somebody has sent you a contact message on Waffling Tailors and this is what they've said. And then I can open a dialogue and get directly to you. Or indeed, you know, if you, if you can fit your comment or whatever in 260 characters or less, then feel free to send it as a tweet as well. Cause I'm, you know, I'm on Twitter and stuff like that. So happy to help in whatever way I can. Or, or to be proven wrong. Maybe there's something I've said that you don't agree with. Let me know because I'm after learning as well, right? I want to improve my own skills, improve my own experience. If you've got a counterpoint, I want to hear it because maybe I haven't experienced what you have. And I, I would love to hear why what I've experienced doesn't match what you've experienced and why you've come to a conclusion that's different to mine, because then that will infer how I can move forward, right? It's all about continual learning and continual growth. It's one of the main reasons I love doing these chats on Better Podcasting, because I will be the first to admit that I don't know everything about podcasting. But one thing that I've learned over the course of the last 13, 14 chats is there's a lot of similarities in mindset on where I'm thinking and where everybody else is thinking. So at least I've got that on my side is is that, yes, I'm continually learning and I pick up new things all the time, 
but it sounds like everybody's kind of the same mindset. So I'm not too far off base basically, but yeah, I like the wild card stuff too. Anyway, Jamie, thank you very much for being with us. We really appreciate you. And I definitely appreciate spending this time with you and I can't wait to talk to you again. Thank you very much. I've really appreciated it too. And like I said, do get in touch everyone. And if you're ever interested in having me on the show again, just reach out. We'll arrange another, another call. It'll be all good. I think we will do that. And thank you for spending your time with Jamie and me over the past hour. If you like content like this, please subscribe to the Better Podcasting YouTube channel and like the video. Or if you happen to be listening to the produced audio podcast afterwards, please give Better Podcasting Chats with SP a follow on your podcatcher app of choice. Stephen and I, my co-host for Better Podcasting, would greatly appreciate it. Now, on Tuesday, October 4th, 2022, I have some time scheduled with Susanna from the Thornvale Actual Play RPG podcast. And Susanna is a writer, podcaster, and dice maker, and is the producer of Thornvale, which has over 170 episodes in its RSS feed at the time of our chat next week. Susanna wants to talk about adapting her book series to the world of uh, podcasts and all things podcasting. So if you join us Tuesday, October 4th, 2022 at 8 p.m. Eastern time, it will be streamed on the Better Podcasting YouTube channel. In the meantime, please join the podcasting conversation on our Discord server, betterpodcasting.com slash Discord. You can find both Stephen and myself there every day. And keep your eyes on the Better Podcasting main feed. There should be something there to a nice little surprise pretty soon. So see everybody next time. Bye.